<laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Wow. That's crazy. That's really fun. Uh, man, it really is just a blessing for me to have uh, both of my pastors, Pastor Chris Hansler and Pastor Gary Hebden, here today. What a uh, what an awesome thing for me. So thank you both for for doing that. I love you both. I'm grateful for you. Um, so one of the things that I'm confident in, I'm secure in your love for me, and you should be secure in my love for you, and, and I think you are. And the freedom that's found in that allows me to handle today totally differently than I might under other circumstances, because I know that you love me. I believe that wholeheartedly, and I hope you believe that I love you wholeheartedly. Um, and that, is, um, that has actually changed my whole process of this last month, uh, my last month here as pastor at Center Church, uh, in a drastic way. And because of that, uh, I haven't had to agonize over the last month about what my parting words would be. Uh, I haven't, haven't had to stress out about that uh, a great deal. Uh, it's partly because this is a little bit different than a lot of other departures. You know, it's not like Brandy and I are moving across the country and I'll never see any of you again. Uh, you know, God willing, uh, there will be lots of opportunity in the future for us to stay in relationship as individuals and as a church family. And uh, that's really a game changer for me. So what I thought I would do today is share something with you that will hopefully be edifying and encouraging to you um, and really just drill down on... Uh, what I feel like I want you to know about God and about your relationship with Him, um, about your role in His family, um, because in the end, we will be brothers and sisters in Jesus forever. That's not ending. And so if I can help you in any way to embrace your role in His family in just a small way today, uh, that's a victory for me. And um, so, uh, but I just wanted to say, Thank you for loving me. Thank you for being gracious to me. And uh, I hope you feel that I've been the same. So um, over this last month, we've been talking a lot about knowing God's will for our lives, understanding God's plan. I don't know if you've ever done the thing where you're trying to make a decision about something, you're trying to decide where to go, and you're like, God, will you just show me what to do? Just tell me. Just tell me where to go, and I'll do it. The funny thing about that is there are many places in the Bible where God actually did tell them what to do, and then they didn't do it. Uh, so I think if he told me exactly what to do, I'd do it, but history maybe says otherwise. Uh, but, but still, we're stuck trying to answer one of life's big questions, God, what's your plan for me? What's your plan for my life? Uh, we're inquisitive people. We're always asking questions. We want to know more. We want to understand. You know, we live in this um, ultra-modern era where we can't do anything until we know why. Uh, you know, no matter what any authority figure says, we want to know, well, why should I do that? We're inquisitive, and it's mostly a good thing. Uh, there are some really popular questions that people ask all the time, and we have this, this miracle invention called the Google machine. Uh, you can Google any question you want to know. And so I took the liberty of finding out what are some of the most commonly asked questions on Google. Uh, some of them are not surprising. One of the most popular ones about a million and a half people per month ask Google, how can I lose weight? Not just lose weight, lose weight fast, because we want it to be easy, all right? How can I lose weight fast? Uh, about 300,000 people a month ask Google, of all places, where can I find happiness? I don't know. I don't know if Google's where you want to go for that. Uh, 450,000 people a month ask Google, 
Why is the sky blue? That's one of those things I know there's an answer for it, but I don't really need to know what it is. It's just blue. Uh, But apparently, a lot of people really want to know. A million and a half people a month ask Google this question, where am I? That's a little unsettling, isn't it? That feels like a question you should kind of know without having to ask Google. And the fact that so many people are asking it so often is a little unsettling for me. Some of them are just downright surprising, though. Let's see here. 200,000 people a month ask Google if Ariana Grande is married. Has anyone here ever wondered if Ariana Grande was married? Like, okay, so we got a couple takers. Micah, I had you pegged for a fan. (laughs) So... uh, 60,000 people, (laughs) she's not married if you were wondering. Ava had her hand up, so now you know, Aves. Uh, 60,000 people a month ask Google this one, and this is a little disturbing to me. Can men get pregnant? Uh, I'm gonna serve as your own personal Google right now. No. Okay, Uh, roughly the same number of people ask Google a question that I think is in my lane. I think they should actually ask me this question, and that is, can I go to heaven with tattoos? And the answer is obviously absolutely not. I'm just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, Can I go to heaven with tattoos? And of course, the most important question of all, asked by 673,000 people per month, who let the dogs out? I'm not sure that that one's a question, but I can't imagine that that many people actually want to listen to that song every month. So there's got to be some questions in there. So we're full of questions, though. And that's a really good thing. Jesus asked questions all of the time, which is funny because obviously he knew the answer, right? He's the original Google machine. He, He knew the answer, but he asked all kinds of questions that were usually more important than some of the ones on that list. Like he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Who am I? Um, oh, and if you want to just turn my mic down a little bit so it'll stop ringing, I will just talk louder. Um, he asked Peter, his most prominent, closest disciple, he asked people, Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you, do you really love me? How about this question? He asked the question, it's, it's, it should be rhetorical. He said, what good is it for a person if they gain the whole world and they succeed at every single thing they ever do and they have everything they ever wanted and yet they forfeit their soul. What good is that for a person? The answer is none. Jesus Jesus asked a ton of questions, significant questions that change the way we live and think and the way that we view the world, the way that we view our own role in the world. And one of the few things about Jesus' life that is recorded in all four Gospels, uh, the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, are mostly redundant information. Uh, And then uh, John came along, he wrote his Gospel much later, and he doesn't really include much of what was included in, in their Gospels. He tries to give us new information. But there's a few things that are recorded in all four of them, and one of them is a particular miracle. And it's interesting because you could think of the four Gospels as like four different camera angles on the same event because they're, they're a record of what happened written by four different people. And so we get this really full view of the whole situation. Jesus has been traveling around. He's healing people. He's performing miracles. He's loving on people who might otherwise be unlovable in their society. And not surprisingly, Scores of people start to follow him, and this huge crowd has gathered on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. 5,000 men, plus presumably many more women and children. A huge crowd has gathered. In John chapter 6, 
verse 5, this is what happened. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, one of the 12 disciples, Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered, it would take more than a year's, a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one of these people to just have a bite. And Matthew and Mark, they record something that John doesn't record. They tell us what Jesus', Jesus immediately re- response was to what Philip said. Philip says, how are we going to do that, Jesus? I have no idea where we could possibly come up with the resources to feed all these people. And Jesus' immediate next question was, how many loaves do you have? Jesus asked Philip, hey, hey, Philip, where do you think we should go get food for all these people? And Philip says exactly what you and I would say in that situation. He says, well, Jesus, that's a great idea. I'd love to be able to feed these people, but there's just no way. Do you see how many people are here? You know how much money. Yeah. Jesus, it's great, but, but it's impossible. There's just no way. We, we don't have what is required. We don't have what it takes. You ever felt like, I don't have what it takes. Other people succeed at those things. Other people are great with those things. I don't have what it takes. So Jesus' response is, yeah, but what do you have? Philip, what do you have? So I think I'd probably ask you the same question. What do you have? Jesus said to Philip, listen, in essence, he said, I know, I know you don't have what it takes to feed these thousands of people. He already had in mind what he was going to do. I know you don't have what it takes. That's what you need me for, but that's not what I'm asking. What I'm asking is what do you have? So I'd ask you the same question. What do you have that you could offer to God? What do you have in your life? There's another disciple standing there nearby, Andrew. Andrew was the first of the 12 disciples to go follow Jesus. You might remember Jesus came along and he said, hey, come follow me. And Andrew went, and then he went back and got his brother, Peter. Andrew is the very first to come along, but he plays a very small role in the story. And he's standing right there, and he has a completely different response than Philip. The next verse says, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He said, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Now, Andrew's not exactly teeming with confidence right here, all right? He's, he's not saying, hey, problem solved. I got these, you know, these loaves and, and these two fish. But, but he did say, Jesus, the answer to your question is, this is what we do have. We do have this boy who's got a sack lunch with him. If you can use it, by all means. It's yours. Go ahead. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Gather up the extra. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Andrew says, hey, we got this, we got this boy with a few small fish, a few small loaves. I don't really know how far they're going to go, but here you go. Do what you want to do with them, Jesus. This is the answer to your question. This is what I do have. 
And he's setting a pretty low bar for the situation. He's not saying, oh yeah, problem solved. He's just saying, I mean, if you can do something, here it is. And it's amazing because it ended up being more than enough. It wasn't nearly enough, but it ended up being more than enough for that situation. So much more than enough that they ended up picking up 12 baskets full of extra. So think about the dynamic here. You have, uh, you have this disciple, Andrew, who plays a very small role in the story. And then you have this person who's not like an adult, it's a small person, a child who's insignificant really in their society, who's got a small lunch, a small number of loaves. In fact, it actually says a small number of small loaves. He has an even smaller number of small fish, but they're yours, Jesus. And Jesus takes them. He takes something very small, totally insufficient, and he turns it into an abundance. Think about the implications of that for your life. One anonymous person. Jesus takes this the sack lunch from this one kid and he feeds thousands. He meets the needs of thousands. One anonymous person with very little to give gave it all, gave it all to Jesus and it was more than enough for the work that Jesus wanted to do. Jesus could easily have just made like the DoorDash donkey come around the corner with a truckload or a cartload in their case of Chick-fil-A sandwiches for everyone. Holler, amen. But think about this. He chose to use the kid to use Andrew, to show something to Philip, to perform a miracle for all the people. He, he could have just miraculously handled the situation, but he chose to use them for our benefit. Think about that. This story, it was for you 2,000 years ago. It was so that you could digest it today and say, you know what? Jesus takes insignificant things and he makes them into more than enough. Think about that. He could have done it by himself, but then it would have just been something cool that he did. Now you can see he takes insignificant things, shows us what we can expect when we give everything to God. So what stops us from doing that, right? If we just get down to the real stuff, okay, we believe Jesus can do whatever he wants to do, but what stops us? Uh, we live in a strange time. Like we're, we're so busy and so bored. Like we're just busy being bored. Is it, isn't that just like the craziest thing that you've, you've ever heard of? Like we're constantly chasing and almost never catching. We're, we're always in pursuit of it, but it becomes more elusive the more we chase it. You know, we're, we're constantly traveling, journeying toward peace and happiness, and somehow we just never quite pull into the station. I don't think it's just me. I think every person understands in your own context what I'm saying. Jesus is saying something totally different. What he's saying is, why don't you hand it over and come be a part of what I'm doing? And that's the message of it that is for all of us. So if you've wondered over the last month, why do I need to go plant a church? Lots of churches out there, uh, including this one. This is an awesome church. Uh, this is why I need to go plant another church, because Jesus is saying, how about taking what you have and handing it to me and seeing what I'll do. It was a huge leap of faith 10 years ago for us to come and start this church. Um, Brandy and I, in our context in particular, we worked at Pastor Christus Church and we loved it in Puyallup. It was a big leap of faith for us to come and do this. But 
Now that I'm on the, the brink of that, uh, taking that leap again, one of the things I realize is that there's always more that Jesus wants to do. There's always an opportunity for me to take what I have and hand it over to him. So, so I'm just taking what I have. Uh, what I have is I'm a church planter. I don't know if that's what I want to be, but the evidence suggests that's what I am. Uh, I, I tell people about Jesus. I preach the gospel. That's, that's what I do. Like, that's what I have. It's not much. Lots of people preach the gospel, but it's what I have. So I'm saying it's yours. You do what you want to do. It's not, it's not much, but it belongs to you, Jesus. So again, I'll ask the question, what do you have to offer to God? What could you bring to him and say, you know, it's not much, but it's what I have. It's yours. What could Jesus multiply for his purposes if you just offered it to him? Maybe you're thinking to yourself, yeah, probably nothing. God really couldn't use anything that I have. And I'm just going to be really straight with you because I don't have that much time. You're wrong. <laughs> That's the wrong answer. And uh, don't take my word for it. Romans 12:4 says, just as each of us has one body with many members, many parts, and these parts do not all have the same function. Likewise, we who are in Christ, we who are Christians, followers of Jesus, though we are many, we form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Each one of us has different gifts and they make up the family of God. In fact, each of our gifts, the gifts you have, it belongs to you, but it doesn't just belong to you. It belongs to everyone else in the family of God because we are a body. Every part of the body, whether in this church or any other church that celebrates Jesus, we belong to each other. We all have a part to play. Many of the most prominent figures in the Bible, um, I just shoot you straight, like a lot of them were just jerks, uh, screw-ups. Some of them were just weird. Like John the Baptist ate bugs and wore camel hair. He was just a weirdo, right? Like some of them were just sort of on the periphery. But God has this, this crazy plan that we all get to be a part of. We all have something different to offer. We all get to play a part in God's plan for the redemption of our city, of our families, of our friends. We all have a role. Many of the most prominent figures in the Bible had much less, far less to offer God than you do. But nearly all of them were insignificant in their own right. Yet, God has chosen this method of using the simple to confound the wise, of using the weak to overcome the strong. That's his style. And what it means is that people like you and me, we get in on the action. We are part of it. I guarantee you, you have more to offer than that kid that showed up with a couple of fish and little loaves of bread. I guarantee that. So before I go, there's two things that I just, I want you to know about the gifts that God has given you. Yes, you. Not the people like me who put on a microphone and get credit and stand up in front. I mean everybody. Okay? The people who, who live life behind the scenes, uh, taking care of families, going to work, doing the grocery shopping, cleaning the house. People who just, you're just doing the normal everyday stuff of life and receive very little credit. I want you to know a couple of things about your gifts. The first one is what you give to Jesus, he will multiply. If you give it to Jesus, he will multiply it. When you return that gift to him, he will multiply it beyond your imagination. Ephesians 3.20 says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, 
that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. He's able to make your money go farther when you offer it to him. Your talent go farther, farther. your kindness, your words. He can make it all go farther than you can ever imagine. To him be the glory. That's him that does that kind of work. What you offer to Jesus, he multiplies. On Sunday mornings, I often leave the church um, without eating anything. And it's totally good until about 20 minutes before church starts. And I realize I haven't eaten anything. And I've been running around for a couple hours. And I start to feel like, you know, oh, I'm just going to get a little lightheaded. And hopefully I'll say something, you know, somewhat coherent. But my sweet wife shows up and she digs into that magical purse thing of hers. I don't know how she does this. I can never find anything in there. And out pops food. Like she's got me covered every time. Okay, there's, there's over 5,000 people here on the shore of Galilee. You think none of the women there had a snack, had a granola bar in their purse? You think nobody else brought a lunch? I, I mean, I don't have any way of knowing this, but surely there was somebody besides this one kid who packed a lunch that day. And yet this one kid was the one who said, here you go. He's the one who said, you know what, Jesus, take it and use it. He's the one who got to see the miracle because he's the one who offered up what he had. What you give to Jesus, he multiplies and it will change you. It will change your life. The second thing is that it's not the size of the gift in your hand. It's, the, it's whose hand the gift is in. It's not important that your gift be consequential of itself. It's important that it be in the right hands. You take a few pieces of bread and a couple fish and you put them in this kid's hand and you have like the OG Happy Meal, which is great. It evolved into what we know today as the Happy Meal. Wonderful. But you put it in Jesus' hands and you have one of the greatest miracles of all time. Now, just think about like some of the regular stuff of life, how this works. You, you get, take this football, you put it in my hand, right? It's worth about $19.95. Of course, with inflation, it'll be like 60 bucks, but it's only worth 20. But you put it in Geno Smith's hands and it's worth $75 million. How about this one? You put this drill in my hand and it's worth a couple hundred bucks and it'll do some stuff, but you put it in Ron Hager's hands and it'll build a church in a developing nation where thousands of people will come and hear about Jesus. You put it in the right hands. You take a piece of paper in my hand, and um, you know, it's like kindling, but you put it in my friend Sandy's hand, and it makes an amazing piece of art that will encourage someone when they open up their mailbox and they find it there. You take something like these scissors right here. You put these in my hands, and they're legitimately dangerous. Like your, your lives are all in, in peril right now. But you put them in my friend Kim's hand, and this right here, this can give dignity to a 16-year-old girl who's walking into a public high school tomorrow. How about that? You put it in the right hands, and it turns out the gift becomes pretty significant. It doesn't matter that much what your gift is. It matters whose hand it is in. The size or significance of the gift is not a big deal. It matters who's holding it. If you'll trust your gift, your talent, your resources, your energy, your life to the hands of God... He will do more than you ever imagined. If you'll trust it to him, he will do more than you ever imagined. It has been an incredible privilege to be your pastor. I'm confident in your love for me. And I hope you're confident in mine. And what I want you to just digest, I've said this a thousand times, but I have this one last opportunity to say, 
you really can trust in the Lord. You really can. You really don't have to lean on your own understanding of who you are and the significance of your gift and the circumstances around you. You really can submit all your ways to him and trust that he will make a straight path for you. That's a real thing. And so I hope that you'll just digest that and allow the Holy Spirit to just speak to you about the fact that your gift, your life in the hands of Jesus can do more than you could ever imagine. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I'm so grateful for these people, grateful for this family that you've formed. I thank you for allowing me to be a part of it, to have a place in it. God, I pray that your hands would rest on them, that they would find favor with you, favor with men as they go forth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you, man.